again, we'll be reading from First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. So please read along with me. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be that, the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nolan. Well, good evening, Doxology. It's good to be with you. And for anyone who's new tonight, joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. Uh, we are finishing up First Peter. So this is going to take us right up until the Sunday before Easter. Then we'll have a standalone Easter sermon. So I encourage you guys to be praying through who might God want you to invite to our Easter service on Easter Sunday. And then after Easter, we'll move into a series on these psalms. So uh, more information to come on that, but looking forward to, to walking through that with you guys. And uh, just right as we jump in here, I was thinking about last, last week's passage where it talks about showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. And it hit me that I haven't publicly thanked the community group leaders for doing that. I mean, 2020 was not the easiest year to lead a community when you can't really have community with one another. And so just, just say um, a very sincere thank you to Chris and Cynthia, to Andrew and Lisa, uh, to Sunho and Grace, and to now Dustin and Betsy for uh, showing hospitality. Now, I can't speak to whether you've grumbled or not, but thank you for at least showing hospitality uh, during the year that 2020 was. It's just played such a huge role in the life of our church, so thank you guys for that. Um, so jumping into this passage... As you can see, it's about suffering, and First Peter, more than any other book in the New Testament, talks about the topic of suffering. And it's woven throughout almost every passage, but it's this section right here where Peter concentrates on it the most. And the reason why he does this isn't a, oh, you know, woe is us, doom and gloom, we're Christians, we suffer. Uh, the reason why he's talking about it with us is because he wants us to not take the normal approach to suffering, which is either to do everything we can to run from it, or we sit and we wallow in it. Uh, but he wants us to use it, because what God gives the Christian are the resources, unlike anything the world has to give, on how to use suffering to actually make you a more whole and a more joyful person. Those the two things go together, suffering and joy. So we're going to see that impossibility in today's text. And so let's look at these two questions. First, we'll ask, what type of suffering is Peter talking about in this section? And then number two, we'll see how can we use suffering well to make us more whole, more joyful people? Number one, what type of suffering is Peter talking about? Number two, how can we use suffering in our life to make us a more whole, joyful person? Okay, so first, number one, uh, what type of suffering is Peter talking about? Because as you see here in the beginning of the, the passage, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. And so one of the first questions you should ask is, what fiery trial? Because there are lots of different kinds of suffering that can come into your life. So 
There is suffering that comes into your life just from living in a fractured world. Places like Romans 8 talk about this. So things like, like horrible things like miscarriages and racism or if somebody you know who gets cancer at a very early stage in life. These are things that happen not necessarily because you've done anything wrong or certainly not because God's angry at you, but because we live in a world that's shattered by sin. But that's, that's, the Bible talks about that a lot, thank goodness, but that's not what Peter's talking about here. He's also not talking about what you could call just or fair suffering, the kind of suffering that comes because, like, you've brought it upon yourself. So Peter uh, gets at that here in verse 15, where he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So sometimes you suffer because you sin. So if you're a selfish person, one, you're going to suffer the internal misery that always comes with self-centeredness, because self-centeredness makes you a miserable person. And number two, the external misery from people distancing themselves from you because you always make everything about yourself. And in this list where Peter says, you know, murderer, thief, evildoer, that probably doesn't really click because you're hopefully not thinking I resonate with murder or thief. But here's something that I think does resonate is that term meddler. And so this term, uh, the Greek is helpful here. So it's a compound word. And the first half of the word is tree, which means to belong to something else. And the second half of the word is episkopos or pastor. So alatri episkopos. So you put those two words together, something that belongs to somebody else, and pastor. Isaac, I see you're checking to make sure I'm telling the truth. I think you are. Um, what this word meddler means is to pastor somebody else's business. Isn't that great? Like to pastor someone else's business and so convicting at the same time. You guys are thinking, yeah, you, Steve, you stop pastoring my business. Well, I, Bible tells me I need to pastor your business, and you're supposed to pastor my business, so okay. Uh, but what he's saying here is stop concerning yourself with things that you don't need to be concerned with. Don't be a busybody. And this is something that, I think this is one of those, quote, acceptable sins that we don't really take seriously in the church, and we often cloak it as concern. You know, so oh, I'm just so worried about so-and-so. Tell me about, you know, the nitty-gritty details of her life so I can pray for her. No, you're probably not really concerned about them. You just want to be in the know, right? Because there can be a twisted itch that we scratch just from learning details about people's lives. We really have no business knowing what's going on. Uh, another area we do this that I think often goes unnoticed often is on social media. So if you're spending, like, chunks of time just reading comments and going through people's profiles, that is a, that's a passive form of pastoring other people's business. And I think if Peter were alive today, he'd probably say something to the effect of, I can think of few things that are more of a time waste or a soul-shrinking activity than to just read a bunch of stuff, go in people's profiles, learning things about them, and even worse, like trying to change people's minds online. And I don't think it's a, you know, you have social media, that's fine, I have social media accounts, but... I don't think it's a coincidence that the, the most mature and the most effective people I know uh, from a Christ-centered perspective don't spend a lot of time on social media, uh, especially when it comes to engaging with people and trying to dialogue and maybe like shepherd someone along and change their mind. It's always over a dinner table, uh, certainly not. I mean, have you ever tried trying to change someone's mind online? It just, it's chasing after the wind, okay? So he's not talking about suffering for being a meddler or an evildoer or, and so forth. So, what kind of suffering is he talking about? And uh, the main places we see it are verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, 
And then verse 16, if anybody suffers as a Christian. So what he's talking about here is the suffering that comes into your life, not in spite of the fact, but because of the fact that you are a Christian. Because of the fact that you follow Jesus, there's suffering that comes in your life. And that might sound distant to you. I don't know, because sometimes when you read this stuff, you think about, okay, yeah, well, the early Christians, they were fed to lions, and I know Christians nowadays in other parts of the world are imprisoned for their faith, but I don't suffer that much for being a Christian. But when you think again about the context that Peter's writing into here, so the Christians here, you're roughly 50, 60 A.D., statewide persecution, where they were physically persecuted for their faith, hadn't happened yet. But here's what was going on. So the Christians were not paying homage to the gods that everybody else worshipped. And that might sound like not big of a deal, because here we have separation of church and state, but in the Greco-Roman culture that they were in, if you weren't worshipping the gods of your neighbors or of the businesses or the guilds that you would go to, that had a serious disruptive effect on the economy and on the life of people's households. So Christians were, and this was, at this point, they were mocked, saying backwards, eventually they would be persecuted, because what Christians weren't doing was affirming the sins that the culture of the day had normalized. They were insulted for it. Does that start to sound a little bit familiar? Yeah, I hope so. And so that's the type of suffering that they're experiencing here and that Peter's writing into. And so for a number of you, I mean, like the real reality we're facing, and it'll probably increase, is uh, you will be mocked probably for believing in the reality of hell. Uh, You'll be shamed or even seen as hateful for holding to the definition of marriage that Jesus gives. If you're in the academy, you'll probably be shunned or passed over for a job if they find out you, you still believe in the creation account, that Genesis 1 actually happened. Okay, some of you will experience ostracism, and I know some of you have, um, from your family members if you've converted later in life because you follow Jesus. And so what Peter is talking about here is any type of suffering that comes from your commitment to the Lord or even more broadly speaking, just the wear and tear of living the Christian life. You know, that can kind of start, because it can, it can start to wear on you. That's the suffering that Peter's talking about. Okay, so what type of suffering comes uniquely from your union with Jesus following Christ? Okay, so just making sure we're all thinking about the same thing. So, number two, when this suffering comes along now, uh, how do we use it well? Because Peter's point, this is a letter of encouragement. It's not supposed to make us feel, gosh, why do I have to be a Christian in an increasingly secular culture? So how can we actually use this in a way that's good? Okay, so the first thing Peter says that's key, and this has to come first to using suffering well, is in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Do not be surprised. This is so helpful. He's setting expectations. So I don't know how many of you guys went to Trader Joe's during the first couple months of the thing that Thou Shall Not Be Named happened back in March of 2020. And this may have happened in a different grocery store, but so this was maybe late March, and I'm having a stressful day. I'm out running errands toward the evening, and I have to swing by Trader Joe's to pick up something before I get home. And I've got all this stuff in my mind. I'm trying to get home to help Kelsey with Titus, and I think, okay, let me just run in, run out. I'll be able to get home in time, help Kelsey. So I zip into the Trader Joe's at Clarendon, and what do you think I found? 
I found, I don't know why I wasn't expecting this, but I mean, the line was going all the way around the entire building in Clarendon and because of, you know, safety protocols. And so I parked my car far away. I walked the quarter mile to the back of the line and I'm texting Kelsey like, can you believe this? Like, how dare Trader Joe's practice safety protocols? How dare all these people get food for their families? I'm upset. Why? Because, yeah, I was being an entitled brat, but what was going on? I was surprised. I showed up, and now I know I'm going to have 45 minutes in line. Um, Kelsey's going to have to extend extra patience to me because I wasn't expecting that to happen. Two weeks later, I went to Trader Joe's, and it was a much different experience because I was expecting it. So I gave myself an hour and a half. I took a book with me. I showed up. Okay, yeah, line super long. Stood in line, got to read, you know, 20 pages in my book or so. Life was good. Went in, you know, got out. It was fine because I wasn't surprised by it. You see, and what Peter's saying is, he says, see the second half of verse 12, don't act as if something strange is happening to you when you suffer, because if you are in union with Christ and his pattern for life was suffering, then glory, why are you surprised if you suffer? And note the nuance here. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say don't grieve. He never says don't grieve. Okay, even in chapter 1, in the very beginning, he affirms the fact that they're grieving from suffering. What he says is, don't be surprised. And why that's key is because when suffering comes, grief won't destroy you, but surprise will. Shock of it can surprise you. So what, what's surprise? Bitterness is surprise. Self-pity is surprise. Both bitterness and self-pity, are it's the assumption that God, I've done all these things for you. Why is this happening to me? What's, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? See, because you're shocked by it. Grieve, yes. Oh my goodness. Jesus was weeping all the time. But he was never surprised. And unfortunately, this isn't over the past five years, especially for me, this has moved from just book information to real life, real life experience where I've seen so many people who they experience real suffering and then they become hardened toward God. They become hardened toward the church. And as I talk with them, like, yes, they are hurting. But when you dig deeper, what well, you see what's going on is the grief is about this much and the shock is about this much. And that's where the hardness of heart comes in. So Peter says, do not be surprised. If you're shocked by it, it will destroy you. Not to mention it's insensible. It's like a football player in the middle of a game saying, will you stop hitting me? It's okay, being hit is part of the nature of the game. <laughs> So is suffering a part of following Christ, suffering then glory. Okay, so number one, don't be surprised by it. Number two, how do we use suffering well? Be purified in it. Be purified in it. So jump down to verse 17 with me. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So that that term judgment there isn't a term of condemnation, but a way you could translate it is purification and strengthening. So read this, for it is time for purification and strengthening to begin at the household of God. Getting at the idea what Peter said in chapter 1, where suffering is often like fire uh, being put to gold, where all the impurities of gold come to the surface. You have this dross that's scraped away, and you're left with a radiant, you know, chunk of gold. And God often uses suffering in our life to turn up the heat and make us into beautiful people. And so... I think here, if you're like me, there's often this, these moments where when your life is going well, you live under the assumption that God's pleased with me. 
Like, God's blessing and favor must be on my life because everything's going well. But then as soon as suffering comes into my life, what am I doing wrong? Has God turned his back on me? Has God ran away from me? But God's involved in your life during the hard times, too. In fact, he may be more involved in your life because a good father disciplines the one he loves and chastises the son whom he receives, as the author of Hebrews puts it. And this is so good because when you think about how God makes us more whole through suffering, so think about how remarkable it is that how God made us when it comes to our senses and how the more senses we have, we taste more of life. So take the gift of sight, for example. The, the gift of being able to see the glory of the stars on a clear fall evening or to knock on the door of your best friend and see them open the door and see their smile as they invite you in for an evening of companionship. The gift of sight is a wonderful thing. But if that's all you have, you don't taste as much of life, right? So take the gift of hearing, for example. The fact that we can hear music that lifts your soul in a way that ordinary speech doesn't do. I'm so glad I could hear the songs that were being played and sung right before the sermon, I'm so glad that I can't just see Kyle, but after the service I'll get to hear Kyle make fun of Luke Wagner after the worship service ends. It's a wonderful thing. One of my favorite sounds in the world is Kelsey's laugh. I, I love it. And the more senses we have, the more we taste life, the more whole we become. And don't you see, in addition to our five physical senses, there is a spiritual sense that God, God gives us as well, where the more we develop it, the more we taste and experience life. So it's like all these things kind of wrapped into one, so things like wisdom and steadfastness and compassion and savoring Christ more. But the thing about those things, wisdom, compassion, savoring Christ, steadfastness, the way they're primarily developed in our lives so that we are more whole is through suffering. Because it's really hard to be wise if you haven't been chastened by suffering. It's impossible to be steadfast if you actually haven't had to be steadfast. You know that? You can't develop patience by reading about it. It's very hard to be compassionate if you've lived a charmed life. And it's very hard to see and savor Christ and realize he is the most valuable gift you can have until all those other fleeting things that you hold over are stripped away and you realize that Christ is all you've got. And he is the only one who will never abandon you or disappoint you. And it's through suffering that God inculcates, or that it, the way that God gives us this sense that we can be more whole people and taste more of life. Okay, so don't be surprised by suffering, but also be purified in it. Recognize that, that that's, um, that's what God is doing. And uh, a brief note here on, because I'm, I'm sure a lot of you guys were wondering, what is verse 18 about? So if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So here he's getting at righteous scarcely saved. Uh, he's getting at the idea that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7 of a narrow path leading to a narrow gate. So the way is difficult. It's often filled with suffering until we see Christ in glory. And what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So what he's saying is if the believer is suffering. Now, it's an encouragement to the believer because it means the hardest times now are the worst it's going to be. And the best of times now are pale in comparison to the weight of glory we're going to experience. So it's an encouragement to the Christian 
But to the one who doesn't follow Jesus, it's a loving warning. It's saying, if things, if, if believers suffer now, right, what about at the end of all things when God's judgment happened? How bad will it be for those who aren't trusting in Jesus? And so it's Peter's plea to Christians in the congregation hearing this letter being read. If you do not trust in Jesus, turn to Christ because this is the best it will ever be for you. Let Christ bear your sin on the cross so you don't have to spend eternity separated from God. Okay, so be purified in it. Number three, how do we use suffering? Well, glorify God in it. Glorify God in it. We mainly see this in verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. In other words, when somebody puts you down or mistreats you or insults you because of either a behavior you're not affirming or an action you're not participating in because you're a believer, rather than being like ashamed by it, use it as an opportunity to glorify God. And here's an example of of where I've seen this. So uh, Sam Albury is one of my favorite people to listen to. Uh, Just the way he talks about Jesus and how much Jesus means to him. And so those of you, he's pretty well known. So he, um, he is an Oxford grad, and he's been same-sex attracted his entire life, and he became a Christian later in life, and so now he lives a celibate lifestyle. And he travels to a lot of, you know, universities and talks to a lot of groups, and so the inevitable and, you know, most common question that he gets from groups he talks to and from his friends back home are, Sam, why in the world do you not follow your sexual desires? Because, you know, in our culture, that's not just seen as stupid, but it can be seen as even, like, damaging to you. And here, I I saw Sam speak in person one time, and this is what he said. And he said, when I get asked that question, like, what I do my best to communicate is the only way that that makes sense, me pursuing Christ in this way, it only makes sense when you understand who Jesus is. Because when I first started exploring Christ and I was reading the Bible, I read that Jesus knows me better than I know myself because he made me. Jesus is more committed to my ultimate joy than I am. And then the more I read about the life of Christ, the more I realized that Jesus lived a life that made that an unquestionable case for me, that he was more committed to my joy than I myself was. He left heaven for me. He went to a cross for me. This is very personal for Sam. Like, he went to a cross for me. And so why would I not want to live for Jesus? Yes, can human beings oftentimes feel more uh, urgent or important than Jesus? But when you understand who Jesus is, it's a no-brainer to follow him. And as you follow Sam's ministry, he's led so many people to Jesus, not by out-arguing them, but simply by showing them how good Jesus is. Because Jesus is more valuable than anything. He's better than anything in this world. And so for us, like, I want to challenge you guys to, as as you think about talking about Christ with people who don't know him, rather than, you know, hoping, oh, I hope they don't ask me about that topic, or, um, you know, I feel like I have to apologize for my beliefs as a Christian, just see it as an opportunity to share people how be- with people how beautiful he is. Because people are longing for beauty, and there is no more beautiful person to point people toward than Jesus. So glorify God in that name when you're mistreated, when you're mocked. Number four, 
Uh, how can you use suffering? Uh, know Jesus more as a result of it. And we see this here in verse 13. Uh, rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. This is strange because he's linking joy with suffering. And for us, those are our mutually exclusive states of being, joy and suffering, right? We see them as separate. But uh, what Peter's saying is these two go hand in hand. So the more you share uh, Christ's sufferings, the more you rejoice. And so the key is it's not because you're suffering in general. The key is because you're sharing in Christ's sufferings. And so this was, this was a number of years ago. And I know some of you know this, a part of my story, but uh, there was a period in my life where, you know, well after college, I came to a place where I very much doubted the gospel and the authenticity of the scriptures and who Christ was. And I came to a point where there were many nights where I, I felt like I was going to just you know, throw my hands up at the Christian faith. And for those of you who have experienced something like this, you know it's not just like a, an angsty teenager phase, but it's like a war zone inside of your head because you feel like the foundations of your life are just getting torn out from under you. And there were so many people who came alongside me and just talked with me and listened to me and helped me to show me Christ and uh, the goodness of the scriptures and all those things. But I'll tell you, one of the things that helped the most was when somebody moved into the area and I was talking with him and I was just sharing, you know, what was going on with my life with like, I just don't, you know, just this, like, it's come to a place where it's really hard for me to believe. And all he did is he just looked at me and he said, I know. I know. I've been there. And in that moment, it, it, it wasn't just a matter of being, like, seen, but, I, like, somebody actually knew me, and I knew him in a new way. It was almost like a bond deeper than blood had formed there, and, like, we knew each other in a way, right, that can't happen with other people, and, you know, not dissimilar way from if you, know, you have two mothers who have lost a child, like, through that shared suffering experience, they know one another in a way that other people don't. And so as you translate that here to think about why do you, why can you rejoice in sharing Christ's sufferings? And something one of my teachers, Dr. Lee, told me, which I'll, I'll never forget, he's an old man who's experienced a lot, of, a lot of suffering. He said, the question you need to ask is, how much do we really want to know Jesus? How much do we really want to know Jesus? Because when we think about knowing Jesus, what we want to know is his glory. We want to know the assurance of eternal life he gives us. We want to know the firm foundation he gives us. We want to know the splendor of Jesus, the treasures in heaven we're going to receive. But we don't want to know the sufferings of Christ. But what he says is if you only know the glory of Jesus, but you don't know the sufferings of Jesus, then you don't really know Jesus. Because you don't know the whole Christ. And that's the source of the Christian's joy, is knowing the whole Christ. And so if you, if you take away the Christ-like pain, then you also take away the joy inexpressible that we can have, because for the Christian, it's only knowing Christ that can bring joy, joy inexpressible. And so it's by sharing in his sufferings, not just his glory, that brings you joy because you know him more. This completely changed how I view suffering. And I, I hope it does for you guys too. And then Peter keeps going and he says, That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
And so what he's getting at here is, so if you are experiencing real suffering on the account of the name of Christ here, there's a, there's a direct correlation there to the gladness you'll have when his glory is revealed. And so, put this way, when we finally meet Christ and Christ finally holds his people, for those of you who have experienced deep suffering with Christ, will there be more joy for you when Christ holds you than if you hadn't have suffered here with him? Yes, yes, there will. Joy inexpressible, in fact. So our hopes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and nothing less. And so he, he purifies you. Don't be surprised by it. you get to glorify God. You get to know Christ in suffering. And then finally, how do you use suffering well? Entrust yourself to God in the midst of it. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If you suffer according to God's will, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. And so what he's saying, it's noteworthy that he highlights faithful creator because when you're suffering, it always comes down to trust. Who or what am I going to trust when the fiery trial comes along? And it, it it doesn't feel worth it for me to live the Christian life right now. And so he highlights God's faithfulness and his creatorness, meaning God is not just powerful, but he's also true. So as you suffer and you think about, who am I going to trust? It's not just that God is a safe place to run to or a sure place to run to. He's the only place. He's the only sure person that you can go to in the midst of suffering. And this idea of entrust your soul to God when you're in the midst of suffering. So think about what it means to entrust something to somebody. Uh, it's when you hand over something extremely precious to somebody because you know they're going to take care of it well. So imagine a young parent on their deathbed dying early and in their final breath, they entrust their child to somebody else. Right? They really have to know, I can trust this person with the life of my child as I depart the earth. And so when you suffer, it's this idea of fully entrusting yourself to your faithful creator And that's hard to do, not just because of our own sin, but because it's scary to leave yourself completely vulnerable and saying, all of me you can have. And just, you know, do with me and be with me as you will. And so the reason why we know that God is the one that we can entrust ourselves to, whether we're scared to suffer, whether we're in the fiery trial of suffering, is because he himself did this for us. When Jesus was in his hour of greatest pain and his hour of greatest need, when he was on the cross, one of the things he said was, he looked up at his father and he said, into your hands I commit my spirit, quoting Psalm 31. Or translated another way, into your hands I entrust my spirit to you, Father. So when everything came crashing down on him, what he didn't do was lean on his own strength, but he said, God, because I know you are faithful, I'm entrusting myself to you and trusting that you will not let me see corruption Not just for my sake, but so that by my wounds and by my pain, my sheep can be healed and be brought into glory and gladness with us. And so while suffering is the, it's one of the primary threads that the scriptures talk about, and it's the main thread of Peter. 
Well, it's almost the main thread of Peter. Because deeper than the thread of suffering is the person of Jesus Christ who stands over the suffering that the Bible talks about, who stands over the suffering that we experience. And there is no other name under heaven by which, by who's more worthy of entrusting ourselves to, who's more worthy of suffering mockery for and ridicule for, because it's only Jesus who is willing to suffer hell itself on our behalf so that suffering won't destroy us but can make us more whole and more joyful and more complete. There was a bishop named Polycarp in the second century. He was an old man. He was 86 or 87 when he died. And he was arrested and brought before the officials and what they told him was, you know, they, they wanted him to offer incense to Caesar as an act of worship. And what they said was, take the oath, renounce Christ, and we'll let you go. If not, we'll burn you alive. And what he said, what he said in response to say simple sentence, 86 years have I served Jesus Christ, and not once has he harmed me, not once has he turned away from me. How could I now blaspheme my king who saved me? And may it be for us as well. And when the fiery trial comes, don't be surprised by it. Be purified in it. Glorify God in it. Know Christ as a result of it. And entrust yourself fully to God in the midst of it. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, first I uh, just want to ask you humbly to, for anyone who's experiencing the kind of suffering that Peter's talking about right now, um, that you will draw them especially close to you. Um, Help us as a community to care for them. And uh, above all, Lord, I pray that they will not even maybe necessarily understand the why, but uh, will they know Christ as they get to share in his sufferings um, in the midst of it, God. Uh, Thank you so much for how you use suffering in our lives. May we be a people who are not ashamed uh, to be called uh, Christians, who are not ashamed to uh, live as those who belong to Jesus because he is so worth it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.